in the service. Uh, we want to continue to worship through the Word, and on the screens behind me, there'll be some scripture. We're going to read through the, the letter to Philemon, and we're going to read that, and um, please, please follow along. Paul says in, in verse 1 in Philemon, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be of compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord." So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you. In the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Aphia, I can't do it. Philemon, you heard the letter. Paul didn't command you to do anything, but he made clear what's right. This church has been meeting in our house, and we've experienced the forgiveness of God. We need to live that out. You're right, Aphia. But when I saw Onesimus standing there at the door with that letter in his hand, it just all came back to me. How he stole from us, how he betrayed us, He was never very useful as a slave, and then to have him run off like that, what could we do? But Philemon, don't you see what's happened? He heard you talk about Paul, and you know slaves can seek out their master's friends to help them. Yeah, but why Paul? Why did it have to be Paul? I mean, I I love that guy, and I hate that he's in prison again, but he just has such influence with people. That's just it. Because he went to Paul, now Onesimus is a Christian. God used Paul to save your now to save your life, and now he's done the same with Onesimus. I understand, 
I see that. Jesus is the Messiah, and, and Jesus changes everything. He's changed our family. He's changed our home. He's changed our business. But if I let Onesimus go, do you know what will happen tomorrow morning? I'll have an entire line of slaves at my door, or else they're all going to run off to Paul and want to be let loose as well. I just can't do that. You might be right, and you probably even are, but if we believe the gospel of Jesus, it has to impact our lives, our relationships, and it all starts in our home. Well, that letter makes it sound like Paul's coming to visit, and he did say he would pay me back for everything Onesimus took, so. Paul loves you, and he has confidence in you, Philemon. He's done the right thing by sending Onesimus back to you, and now it's your turn to do the right thing. You're right. I will out for you. I'll receive him as a brother, I'll set him free, and I'll send him back to Paul. Whatever happens after that, we'll trust the Lord. Okay, so obviously, you know, we played with that conversation a little bit there. So that's not Apphia, that's my wife Amanda. But, you know, they start with an A, so, so that's close right there. We were in the same, uh, in the same ballpark, ballpark. But uh, that conversation, we're trying to play out what might have been going on between Philemon and his wife Apphia is they're having this realization of the power of the gospel put into their home with these relationships their slave Onesimus that apparently has stolen from them, caused trouble, run off to Paul, become a Christian, and now Paul is writing this letter back to Philemon and his household saying, you need to receive Onesimus back. What's going on there? What's happening? Well, I want to show you, um, and uh, sorry that we have a sick projector this morning. This one didn't wake up. So much like some of you on Sunday morning, this one did not wake up. This one did wake up. So uh, this is our only projector. I apologize for that, uh, that problem. But just a reminder on the map up here, you've got modern-day Turkey in this area. This little red spot, and if you just put it into your phone as Colossae, uh, you'll, you'll be able to look it up that way. But it's there in what's called the Lycus Valley of southwest Turkey. And this is an area where Paul likely never traveled on his own. Almost certainly, Paul had never been there to Colossae. But what Paul did do is he spent a lot of time in this area right here, which is Ephesus. And so sometime when Paul was in Ephesus, through some connection there, a church was established in this area around Colossae. There were also churches established at a place called Hierapolis. There was a church at a place called Laodicea. They're all in this little river valley that runs there in the southwest part of Turkey. And so you have this church that's established there. One of the things we know about Paul is that he got himself thrown into prison uh, multiple times. And so there are certain letters in your New Testament that are called the prison letters. Philemon is one of those prison letters. Paul is in prison at this point, and he's writing this letter. We don't know where he's in prison. There's, there's really two main options. Either Paul is in prison here in Ephesus, or he's way off the map over here in a place called Rome, most likely, when he's writing this letter. So what has happened is, like we talked about, Onesimus is the slave in Philemon's household. Onesimus does something. We don't know exactly what it is, but most likely he steals from his master. He causes trouble, and he knows that he's going to be in trouble, and he runs away. But most likely, he doesn't just randomly run away, because in the ancient world, a slave 
could appeal to their master's friends. They could run away specifically to a master's friends as a place of respite, hopefully then to be restored back to their household and not face uh, incredible punishment to the point of death. And so as a way to kind of protect that relationship. Now, there's a possibility, there's a possibility that Onesimus ran all the way to Rome. Rome was the major city. It would have gotten him far enough away that he would have been able to go to Paul. We know that Paul was in prison in Rome, and so there's a possibility this is happening over here in Rome. The one difficulty with that idea is it is a long way from Rome back to Colossae. That would have been a very large distance for Onesimus to cover to be able to have this connection. It's not impossible. It had been a long way. The other option is you have Ephesus right here. A lot of people think that Paul was in prison at Ephesus. It's much closer for Onesimus to get there. There would have been some points of connection that he would have been able to make that trip and connect with Paul and then be restored back to his household. Some people say Ephesus wasn't far enough away. (laughs) Like it wouldn't have gotten him far enough away from his master, and so maybe he went all the way to Rome. We don't know Ephesus, Rome, Someplace Paul is in prison, Onesimus goes to him, in going to him becomes a Christian, and then Paul writes this letter to send him back to his master Philemon to be restored. Here's the big idea in all that. With the story of Philemon, this little book that's there tucked toward the end of your New Testament, this little book puts on display the power of the gospel. Because we know, and this is on the back of your note sheet, this is on the back of your bulletin, we know that the gospel is about reconciliation. It begins with what sometimes we call vertical reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is your point of reference here. If you want to make a note to look back at 2 Corinthians 5, this is your point of reference. But 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Our relationship, because of sin, our relationship with God is broken. God is not the offending party there. We are. But that relationship is able to be made right, to be able to reconcile through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we call that salvation, that that relationship. We talk about having a personal relationship with God. What that means is that relationship was able to be restored to what it was meant to be, and it happened through Jesus. But here's the part you can't miss from Philemon. When your vertical relationship with God is put back in order, the result of that is that your horizontal relationships with other people should also be put back in order. When you are reconciled with God, that will result in reconciliation happening with other people. And so what Paul does here is he reaches out one hand to Philemon as the slave owner, and he reaches out another hand to Onesimus as the slave. And in making the shape of the cross, He says, we will be reconciled because we are one in Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of the relationship we're able to have with God, we are now able to be connected to one another. We're able to have those relationships with one another. How do you see this in the book of Philemon? Where does this show up? I want to show you a couple places in the book of Philemon where this idea shows up. So if you have your phone open or you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, or you have the right angle to be able to see this screen, and not that screen, then you're going to be good. Philippians, and we don't say chapter 1, really, because there's only one chapter. So Philippians verse 6, it says, I pray that the sharing of your faith 
may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing, good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Okay, quick sidebar here on Bible translations. You guys know that I am not a stickler in any way for what translation you read from. Uh, I would encourage you not to read from the New World Translation or translations in which there are changes made to make a, per, a particular group's theology work. But beyond that, I'm wide open on what translations you use. Sometimes, though, with different translations, there can be points of confusion that are caused. I really enjoy the New International Version. Now, this is the English Standard Version that's on the screen. I really enjoy the New International Version. One thing you have to be aware of, though, is in this particular verse, Philemon 6, the New International Version makes it sound as if sharing your faith with one another, evangelism, sharing your testimony, is what's talked about when it says, I pray that the sharing of your faith. Now, it's good that you share Jesus with other people. We're 100% in favor of that. That's not what this verse is talking about, though. This verse is talking about the sharing of the faith among Christians. It's talking about the partnership. There's a fancy New Testament word that we use here sometimes called koinonia. Uh, it's that fellowship, that sharing, that partnership that we have with one another. That's the sharing that's being referenced in Philemon 6. And so what's being talked about here is Paul is saying, I pray that the sharing of your faith, the relationships that you have with other believers— that that will become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The way that we know the fullness of Jesus' work in us is when we are able to see that play itself out in relationships with other people. You will never know all that Jesus has done in and for you until that starts to impact the relationships you have with people around you. That's the idea that's playing out here. Let's go down a little bit further in, in Philemon. We go down to uh, really verse 7, but also picking up some from verse 14. Verse 7, Paul says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. He's establishing that. Verse 8, accordingly, because of that love, I am bold enough in Christ to command you what to do. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So Paul's saying, I have the authority to tell you what to do. But I don't want to do it that way. I want to make this appeal to you. You see down in verse 14, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. What Paul is showing here is that living out the Christian faith and specifically your relationships with other people can't be forced. <laughs> you can't go up to someone and say, you're going to reconcile unless you're the parent. Uh, and you bring your kids together and you say, you will reconcile with your sibling. But even is that real reconciliation? Like if there's not true love, you guys know what it's like to be brought in by your parents and say, you are going to get along no matter what. We've got a lot of years in this house together. We're going to have to make this happen. That's a form of reconciliation, but that's not even true deep reconciliation. Paul is saying here that true religion, true relationships cannot be forced. They can't be compelled. Compelled. But we can make that appeal. And Paul makes that appeal on the basis of love. Because of the love God's shown to you, we love because he first loved us. We are able to live this out because of the work that God has done in us. Then look down one other place in the book of Philemon. If you get down 
a little bit further to, uh, forget what verse I used here, 15 through 17. This idea, perhaps, um, this is why he has departed from you, so that you might have him back forever. Then notice verse 16. Verse 16 is the core of this. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And then down there in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. What Paul is showing here is how our relationship with God changes our relationships with other people in terms of that person's identity. So you don't view somebody else as your slave, you now view them as your brother. You don't view someone else as your enemy, now they're your friend in Christ. When we have this relationship with God, what it does is it changes the way that we view the people around us. You say, what does that look like in my life? Well. That person who works for you, their primary identity is as a brother or sister in Christ, not as your employee. Yes, they are your employee. Yes, they absolutely do have that relationship, but their primary identity is not that you would use them to make your business greater. It's that they're ultimately your brother or sister in Christ. Kids and parents, this idea that we're able to say, yes, this is my child. I have responsibility, parental responsibility but they're also my brother and sister in Christ. That when you look husband to wife, yes, we have this marital relationship, but our primary, our primary identity is in Christ. Jesus transforms the identity of the people around us. No longer can Philemon look to Onesimus just as a slave, because he's no longer just a slave, he's a brother in Christ. So with those things in place, let's just get really practical. What relationships in your life are broken, strained, hurting, and you need reconciliation to happen? Where do you need reconciliation to happen in your own life? What are those relationships? What are those things? Students, nothing like a mission trip to make relationships unravel. Uh, what, are, what are those relationships that are strained, that are hurting, that are broken? Spouses, you're holding on to a marriage that has the feel of it crumbling. Parents, you feel like you're losing that relationship with your kids, or maybe you've, in some sense, feel like you've already lost that relationship with your kids. Maybe your work environment is toxic, and you know that those relationships are not, not what they should be. Maybe it's one of those situations that the other person doesn't even know that the relationship's messed up, but you just have a feeling that something is not right and you need to take the initiative to go and have that conversation with that person to say, you know what, I'm gonna take the first step here. I'm gonna reach out and see if there's something that needs to be taken care of. Maybe you're not the offending party. Maybe you're the one that has been offended, but you feel like, you know, I need to step in and address this situation. What we can't do this morning is we can't allow this to remain general. Because generally, I think we will all agree, I need to be right with God and I need to be right with others. Yeah, absolutely. But what does that look like specifically 
And what does it look like to live that out in such a way that we grow spiritually, that we come to worship God, we come to know him more, we come to grow in our faith as a result of having to deal with some of these really hard relationships? There are some relationships that, frankly, you've given up on. You've said reconciliation, that was an option in the past. No. If it's possible for that person to be reconciled with God, then it's possible for that person to still be reconciled with you. If they are not beyond reconciliation with God, which we would say that they are not, then they're not beyond reconciliation with you. So don't discount some relationship in the past that you say, I've moved on, I can't, I can't do that again. God may bring that. We're gonna deal with a couple of ways that we can handle that. All right, let's walk through this. How do we pursue reconciliation? I kind of laid out, I think, three points of sort, and, and we'll walk, walk through these. The first, we pursue reconciliation by having a full understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me clarify that. I don't mean that you have to know everything about Jesus in the Bible before you can pursue reconciliation with someone. In fact, I don't think that's ever going to happen for anyone. What happens, what Fleeman 6 said, is that as you live out reconciliation, as you pursue reconciliation, that's when your knowledge of the gospel increases. So we're just talking about as we begin to deal with these relationships, we're gonna find ourselves growing in knowledge of the gospel. We have this full understanding of all that Jesus has done for us. Here's the first thing I would want you to know on this. We've been forgiven in order to forgive. We've been forgiven in order to forgive. We see this in Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, there's a parable there that Jesus tells of this man who owed a huge amount of money. And the king forgave him of that huge debt that he had. Then this man turns around and refuses to give a very small debt that was owed to him. Look at what Jesus thought about that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. His master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's not saying you have to earn your forgiveness. What that's saying is if you're not willing to forgive someone else, you never understood originally what it was for you to be forgiven. Because we were enemies of God, we had rebelled against God, living in our own way for our own purposes, and he was not the offending party. He was the one sinned against, and yet he has made that relationship right with us. And so if we've been forgiven, then we must be willing to forgive others. We use a phrase, and we use it casually. I don't think we mean it when we say it, but we will say things like, I could never forgive that person. At a very real substantive level, a Christian can never say that. It's, now, granted, it comes out of our mouth. We realize, ah, you know, I, I said that casually, and I didn't really didn't mean all that was meant by that. But a Christian can never say, I can't forgive you, because we have been forgiven completely. Remember that what God did for you in Christ was not forgive part of your sins, and then you had to deal with the rest. No matter what kind of junk you bring into the world, no, kind, no matter what your past looks like or your future looks like, all of that was forgiven. 
Not part of your sins, all of them were dealt with. Which means in your relationship with others, we don't forgive people part of what they've done against us, we forgive them of all of that. There's nothing that someone could do against us that lies outside of the path of forgiveness because of what God has done for us. If you say that to someone who has no interest in the things of God, they're not a religious person, they have no care for Jesus, they're gonna say you're crazy. They're gonna say you're setting yourself up for failure. They're gonna say you're being weak and you're giving that person too much credit. The only reason you could say that to someone, the only reason you can forgive someone to that extent is because of what God has done for us. We've been forgiven in order to forgive. There's another thing I want you to see on here is it reminds us that the gospel is not just about me and God. Christianity is just not me and God doing our thing. It's us. It's us as the people of God. Matthew chapter 5 has a really interesting set of verses. Matthew 5 verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. This is the idea that we don't just continue to worship God, just me and God doing our thing, even though I have all these broken relationships around me. God says, no, you've got to go and deal with that situation before you ever know what it truly is to worship me. Because you cannot worship me if you don't understand how that applies to the people around you. We have to realize that Christianity is more than just me and God. It's I've been reconciled with God in order that the shape of the cross would be carried out in my relationships with people around me. Let me ask you a question. What if the other person isn't a Christian? So you say, hey, that's great, Owen. I, I think I understand some of what you're saying. I really need to live out my faith with other people. What if that other person, though, is not a Christian? They're not gonna come from the perspective of forgiveness. They're not gonna come from the perspective of the cross. What, what then? Your efforts at reconciliation are one of the greatest ways possible to share the gospel with that person. Because when you attempt reconciliation, when you speak about forgiveness, that is the most wide open door possible in order to share the gospel with someone. So don't think I can't deal with that person because they're not a Christian. Yes, I realize you're coming from different perspectives, but what you have there is you have a wide open opportunity to share with that person about your own brokenness, about the way that God has forgiven you and you want to be able to forgive them. You want to extend mercy. You want to show grace. All those things that are given to us in the gospel, you're able to live out in, in front of someone. I'm not saying you need to have broken relationships in order to share the gospel, but they are a wide open opportunity to be able to do that. And to go to someone humbly and say, you know what? I'm sorry for the way that I've wronged you. I am not in the right here. I need your forgiveness. Let me tell you about what God has done for me. It's just all these open doors there. And, and just remembering that when we talk about this idea of, of reconciliation, yes, there are places for boundaries. <laughs> you say, Owen, you don't know what kind of relationship you're talking about in my life because I've tried this and I've gotten hurt over and over and over again by this person. And I acknowledge, absolutely, I, I hear what you're saying. There is definitely a place for establishing healthy boundaries. Boundaries are a way of speaking the truth in love. Boundaries are a way of saying, I love you, and here are the ways in which I love you. 
and I'm keeping this door wide open. I think what we do when we establish boundaries in relationships is we say, I want you to be crystal clear about what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to live out my faith in God, and I want to do it in humility, and I want to do it in love, and I want you to know that, and I want you to know that I'm keeping the door open so that at any point I am ready to make this relationship right, and yet I'm not your Savior. Part of knowing the gospel when you're trying to make a relationship right with someone who's not a Christian is coming to the realization that you're not that person's Savior. That what they need at the deepest level is a right relationship with God through Jesus, and you cannot do that for them. And I know that hurts, and I know that's so hard to get over, and you want to make that happen, you can't do it. But what you can do is you can point them to Jesus, you can leave the door wide open, you can make sure you're clear about the gospel, and then you can say, I'm not their savior, I have to set up some boundaries here about what this is going to look like. So that's one of the ways we do this with someone who's not a believer. What about somebody who has no interest in reconciliation? <laughs> like, you want to reconcile, but they're just, they're just not interested in it. It's similar in some respects to how we deal with someone who's not a Christian. It's similar in the sense of you're taking that initiative, you're taking that step, you're saying, I want to make this right, realizing, remember what happened with Paul. It wasn't compelling someone to do it. It was reaching out in love and saying, I want this to happen, but I realize I can't force it to happen. So if the other person just refuses to reconcile, you take the step, you do what God is calling you to do, and then once again you realize, I can't force this. I can't make it happen, but I'm still going to put the gospel on display. Reconciliation is always about the gospel. It's always about what God has done in us and what he wants to do through us. Okay, number two. So that's that gospel foundation. Number two. Oh, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Let, let me show you one other set of verses really quick. On that idea of somebody doesn't want to reconcile with you, there's some great verses about this. It come out of Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 16 to 18 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be prideful. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable on the right side of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is such a freeing verse in Scripture. Romans 12, 18. <laughs> so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with others. Some people just don't want to live at peace with anybody. And at some point you realize, man, I've done everything I know to do, and that person doesn't want to be at peace. You've been obedient to Scripture. If so far as it depends upon you, you have sought to bring peace in, in that situation. Okay, moving on to number two. Number two is we need to recognize the influence of other followers of Jesus. Sometimes, and we see this in Philemon so clearly, sometimes we need a Christian mediator in a relationship. We need someone who's able to come in from a different perspective from a different angle who's not immediately involved in that situation and they're able to step in and say, let me hold the cross together for you guys right now. Let me step in. Now, be careful if you think it's always your job to step into everybody else's uh, situation. Usually you need to be invited in, into these situations to make, them, to make them work better. If you, you know, appoint yourself the Emmaus relationship mediator, it's probably not gonna go well, so don't do that. 
But there's a place in relationships for needing a gospel-based mediator, someone who cares, but someone who can see it from a different perspective, a different angle, and who's willing to step into that situation and say, you know what? I believe you guys want to make this work. I believe you want to make this reconciliation happen, but you're probably going to need someone else to be involved. Remember, Christianity is not me and God. It's God has placed the body of Christ around us. He's given us the church for times like this. The greatest gift for a broken relationship is the gift of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, built on the word of God, seeking to live out the gospel together. And so we want to be able to do this. In fact, when you see what's happening here, don't miss the fact Paul is writing to Philemon about this broken relationship to Onesimus. But what does he also do in this book? He sends a letter to Philemon and he gives it to the whole church. So Philemon's like, hey, Paul, next time could you just write that to me? Uh, because when that was read, my relationship with, Philemon, or with Onesimus was put on display for the church. And Paul says, that's exactly the point. You're going to best be able to reconcile with Onesimus when you don't just see it as you and Onesimus, but when you see it as the work of the church. When this is not something that just affects the two of you, but it affects the whole group. You don't need a youth group to tell you this. You don't need your local business to tell you this. But when there's a strife between two people who aren't reconciled in a group, guess what? It doesn't just affect those two people. It affects the whole group. It flows out like this toxic influence. It happens in the life of a church. It's not just a middle school thing. It happens everywhere. It happens up to senior adult level. When there is strife between two people, it affects the body. And so what Paul is doing by writing this letter to Philemon and sending it to the whole church is he's saying this idea of reconciliation, it's about all of you. It's not just about these two individuals. So number one, you have the gospel in, uh, foundation. Number two, other people are involved. And then finally, number three, you have to have the courage to address consequences of reconciliation. Philemon realized that if he reconciled with Onesimus, he lost some of his social power. He would, in some sense, to other slaveholders in the area, in the ancient Roman Empire, he was going to appear weak. Some of the reason we don't reconcile with people is because when we're not reconciled with them, we hold some power over them. By not putting that relationship back together, because if we put that relationship back together, we're gonna to have to give up something. We're gonna to have to sacrifice something. We're gonna to have to take a step. And so we refuse to take that step because in not being reconciled, we actually hold on to power. And we don't wanna give that up. We don't wanna give that control up. And one of the things that Paul is saying is when you reconcile, you're probably going to lose something in the process. But what you gain on the backside is so much more valuable than what you're trying to hold on to right now. If you will give that up, if you will address losing some of that power, if you will humble yourself, yes, you're going to lose something, but what you gain is so much more valuable. And so we have to be willing to deal with some of those consequences. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week when we address slavery and freedom and some of those things. Um, let's wrap up with this. I put down four signs or, or results of reconciliation. How can you know when God's, here's what we're trying to get at here. Let me make sure I'm really clear. How can I know 
when God's work in my life is beginning to impact relationships with people around me? How can I know when this is beginning to happen in me and then flow out of me? The first one is you have a commitment to ongoing reconciliation. Reconciliation with somebody is not a one-time event. Reconciliation with someone is constantly reconciling, constantly pulling those weeds, constantly making the relationship right. Just because you're being asked to reconcile with somebody doesn't mean you're gonna have to be best friends with them all the time. Sometimes the result of reconciliation, the greatest result of reconciliation is you can walk into a room and it not be awkward with that person. You're like, we won. It wasn't awkward today when I was in the room with that person. We're not best friends. We're not spending 24 hours a day together, but we have reached a point that we are willing to be reconciled and we are going to continue to be reconciled. This is what happens in parent-child relationships or in marriage counseling is we see reconciliation as a one-time event and then we wake up tomorrow and the same person's still there. And you're like, oh, I thought I reconciled with them yesterday and they're still here. What happened? Well, yes, they're still here and you are there too. Like you didn't go away either. Reconciliation happened yesterday and it's gotta happen today and it's gonna happen tomorrow. It's this ongoing reality of how do we continue to maintain this relationship? So it's a commitment to ongoing. Number two, Patience with personal spiritual growth. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. We have to be patient with that process that God works in our life. Number three, we sacrifice for the good of the other person. Reconciliation is happening when you're able to look at someone, don't miss this, when you're able to look at someone and say, I am for you, not against you. I will stand with you, not away from you. Parents, when you can speak into your kids' lives, and you can say, I am for you. I realize we've had our difficulties. I realize we had our trouble. But I will stand with you, not away from you. Reconciliation happens with the word for, and it happens with the word with. I'm on your side, and I will be right there with you because we're going to make this happen because we are unified in Christ. And then finally, number four, a focus on God's kingdom. I don't know, I, I hate to be silly and cheesy about this, but it just... We live in a very divided world, okay? <laughs> uh, we live in a polarizing world. We live in a world where if you're not against someone, what would you do? I mean, <laughs> all of TV, all of our lives, everything we do on social media, it's all about who you're against and who you're divided on and what side you're a part of. When reconciliation happens in a world like ours, the gospel shows up as so unique. It shows up as something that just catches people off guard because it's so different than the world that they live in. They live in a polarized, divisive, negative world. And when we start speaking about reconciliation with God and with one another, the beauty of the gospel is on display. And we are able to live that out. We are able to be light in a dark world. It's a lot of material. I know there's a lot of things there to think about, things going on in your heart. Here's what I want to do during the response time. We're going to do things a little bit differently. During our response time, we're just going to have two or three minutes of quiet, introspective time for you to pray. I've told you that Christianity is not just you and God, and that's, that's very true. It's going to impact other people. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pr pray David's gonna play in the background for us in just a minute. I want you to pray about what is the next step I need to take in reconciliation with someone. 
If you do not need to be reconciled with anyone, if you don't have any broken relationships, we'll give you a t-shirt afterward, I guess. I don't know. You live in a different world than the rest of us, if that's, if that's your situation. If, if you don't, if you have relationships that are healthy, I tell you what, pray for people around you because you know someone who's going through a broken situation. You know someone who's hurting in a relationship. Pray for them. Please, though, use this time in prayer before God to say, God, what do you want to do in me and what do you want to do through me? Let's bow our heads. Have just a couple of moments here. We're trying to think, God, what does it look like for the shape of the cross to happen in my life? Am I right with you? Start there. God, do I know what it's like to have a relationship with you, to be made right with you? There's that up and down vertical part of the cross. And then, God, what does it look like in my relationships with others? Parents, one of the most important things you can do is ask your kids to forgive you. I know that's hard. It feels like you're losing some parental power, but what you show in that humility is so powerful. Do you need to ask your kids to forgive you for something? Students, if you're not out of school yet for the year and you have broken relationships with teachers, with administrators, with other students at your school, you probably got a week or less to step out, to live out the gospel in that situation. Who at school this last week do you need to step out and display the good news of Jesus by being reconciled with that person? Is there someone who you've been holding something against or you've, you know things are not right but you've kind of been living in denial you just pushed it to the side you've never taken that step maybe this afternoon it's a phone call or an email or stepping out in some way asking God to bring healing and hope in that situation you may have a relationship that you haven't thought about reconciliation in a long time because it was so far gone. We realize those things don't change overnight. Not always. Sometimes they do. But What step can you take to go back and pursue reconciliation with that situation? It might just be as simple as praying for that person again. You have not been able to pray for them because your heart has been so hurt against them. The best thing you can do is tonight you can choose to pray for that person again asking that God would bring healing and hope in your life and that God would heal their heart and their life. God, thank you for the way that you have reconciled us with you through Jesus Christ. God, help us to be ambassadors of reconciliation in the world around us, God. Help us to live out the gospel, to display it every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.